0: Okay, hi everyone. I can see a a few people have joined and I think we've got some more on their way in as well. So we'll go ahead first of all to introduce myself. So my name's uh, Tim Bond, I'll be your chair for this webinar. Um, uh, I am the uh, Director of Insight at the Data and Marketing Association here in the UK, uh, which means I oversee a lot of the the research, um, both industry and consumer, that we run um, as part of our um, kind of role as a membership body for for this sort of space. Um, uh, But I'm here chair chair uh, this session, put together by Lead Forensics. So, thank you very much to them around customer retention and strategies for uh, success in a transformed world. Um, so, with that, a bit of an introduction. Really, I think we'd all agree that the pandemic has really changed the way that we all live, work, uh, play, and shop in in all our ways uh, and all the kind of parts of our life. Um, from our own uh, customer customer engagement research, which has been running. Since back in 2016, we first started it, and it's an annual piece. Um, We've seen that the pandemic has actually accelerated some of the key trends that we've been tracking over that time as well, particularly, unsurprisingly, given where we all are today, around this kind of digital and virtual communications channels in particular. They were always sort of growing there in the background over recent years, but clearly the last, well, nearly two years now, has just accelerated that much faster than we may have expected and brought up some new channels as well. It's fast becoming something now that people and a lot of our customers actually expect um, as the norm and not just a kind of um, good add-on to have. In addition, we've seen customers re-evaluate what's important to them and change accordingly, whether that's in the B2B or B2C context as well. In our consumer research, We've seen switching actually reduce slightly over the last two years, but it's still over half of people who've asked who have switched something of one of the categories that we asked about um, in the last 12 months. And of them, 40% said that they did that because they had a bad experience. So not uh not giving customers the experiences that they expect is still you know a, a big risk to brands, even in the pandemic when people maybe want to stick with. Uh, the ones they see as more reliable so within b2b in particular with all the changes to work practices as well as coming out of the pandemic and, and potentially starting to reevaluate suppliers with with more scrutiny once again which maybe might have been parked or, or paused over the uh, over the troubling times when other issues were being dealt with uh, building trust and loyalty within this space remains a key challenge for many businesses so to build this trust There are a few things that all brands need to do and lots that brands can choose to do as well. In a lot of the research and and conversations I have, we always see that these ideas of functional drivers and price are really and and clearly hygiene factors that all businesses must be aware of. That's uh, the old Ron Seal line of doing what you say on the tin. And it's also about being the right price, not necessarily the cheapest but the right for what you're providing in the service that you're providing as well. However, in the last two years, we've also seen an acceleration in the need for brands to be things like compassionate and values driven as a possible differentiator. That can be anything from just treating customers and staff well to good corporate citizens and CSR programs or sustainability or supporting local economies as well. Um, In the last year, that's been a popular one. Um, also the potential to prove their reputation either either through customer testimonials recommendations referrals those are not just really powerful acquisition tools but really good ways of showing that you are the kind of brand that should be sort of stuck with as well then also customer experiences so things like uh, free trials good customer service and a big one in b2 b which I think is um, often overlooked actually in, in the b b2 c space is this idea of tenure and actually looking after those long standing customers not just giving the best deals to the to the new customers which we see a lot in the consumer space actually rewarding those customers that stick with you and have that length of service and making them see, feel as valued as they really are so How can B2B brands ensure that customer satisfaction, reduce that churn and increase loyalty? Um, And also, how's that changed over the last two years? Well, I'm glad to say that I'm not the one who's expected to have all the answers today. I've got five lovely panellists around me who I'm going to introduce you to. In just a moment um, and then start firing some questions just to say we've got uh, our own questions box as well so if anybody in the audience has any questions they'd like to pop to um, either specifically or to the group at large um, do pop them in there I'll be checking that throughout the conversation um, and to introduce everybody and in no particular order um, we've got uh, Karen O'Grady um, who's the global head of customer marketing at Cognizm Uh, where she focuses on driving strategic uh, initiatives to support retention. We've also got Molly O'Hare, the director of EMEA operations at G2, uh, where she spent nine years uh, in a variety of different roles, uh, helping grow the business from the ground up. Uh, Johnny Adams, who's principal consultant at SBR Consulting. He specializes in delivering sustainable sales change, uh, focusing on strategy, people and processes. Uh, We've got Orla Walsh, um, who's customer success manager at pan intelligence she is self-confessed uh, absolute fanatic when it comes to the tech industry um, and also really passionate about building those customer relationships as well um then last but by no means least from our our host today uh, owen McIntyre, who's a retention marketing manager um, he's got over 10 years experience in-house as a b2b marketer overseeing customer comms and lead generation campaigns. So a real sort of variety, but with a lot of B2B uh, expertise in there as well. So really excited and welcome all. Thank you all for your waves. Um, So first of all, I'd I'd like to go with a bit of a round, Robin, if we can uh, quickly, just to start around. Well, so why is it more important than ever to understand your customers? Um, And within that sort of, how have customer needs and objectives maybe changed over the pandemic, over the last couple of years? and what are some of the new expectations placed on brands as well? Maybe uh, Molly, if we, could, if we could start with you.
1: Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Tim, uh, and thanks Lead Forensics for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk a little bit, not just about G2's own experience uh, with our customers, but also what we've been seeing across the B2B landscape. Um, and what we're seeing is that the balance of power continues to shift toward buyers. So our customers have never had more choice when it comes to the kinds of um, solutions that they um, have available to them, nor uh, have they had the kind of access to information to do their own research uh, and come to their own decisions about what's what's right for their business. Um, G2 recently released the results of a survey on buyer behavior, and we found that 67% of B2B buyers usually engage a sales team after they've already made up their minds about what they're going to purchase. Um, so two thirds of your customers are doing their own research, coming to their own conclusions about your brands, about your product. Um, and then they're only speaking to you when they're ready to buy or when they're ready to renew um, your product or service, uh, which is probably a little bit scary. Um, And the pandemic has only accelerated this trend. Uh, Teams are more distributed. Uh, We haven't been getting together in person at things like conferences or networking events, um, even around the proverbial water cooler where people are trading information about um, products and services. Um, So, where do people go in the absence of these events they're going online they're doing their research online and so like at g2 we saw huge spikes in traffic at the outset of the pandemic back in spring 2020 Um, as you might imagine people were scrambling to find the right tools um, to help enable uh, remote working Um, and now that we're firmly sort of in this new reality um, we're continuing to see not only, you know, with uh, us at G2, but our customers as well, uh, a kind of continued demand for any kind of um, digital content um, that can be consumed, referenced and then is easily shareable within Teams. Um, so uh, this kind of content is so important if you're going to be part of that uh, process for the 67% uh, of customers that are researching. Uh, Tim mentioned in, in the opening about the importance of building trust. Uh, when buyers are doing this research, that's when they're first forming those opinions about you, about your brand, about whether you can meet um, their needs. Um, and they're then they're going to come to you with those uh, opinions. They're going to come to you when they're likely ready to buy. And then they're going to expect to be able to sort of seamlessly uh, transact with you from that point. So in this this new buying environment, um, it's really up to the sellers to meet the buyers where they are, um, give them the right information based on where they are in the buyer journey um, at the right time um, in order to optimize uh, conversions and retention.
0: Fantastic, yeah, re- really interesting. Uh, Paula, can I, can I come to you next? How, what are you seeing at Pan Intelligence?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I think lots has changed for customers. Um, and it definitely is more important now to understand um, understand them truly. Um, I think I'm going to come at this question from kind of a customer success angle. Obviously, I'm biased. Um, and it's obviously comparably quite a new area as well um, in, in lots of businesses. Um, and I think things are changing constantly. So customers are Forever re evaluating what is important. So, actually, from a business perspective, it's quite difficult to keep up with that sometimes um, and to truly understand the customer. Um, We actually made a transition earlier this year in our team from an account management function to a customer success function. And I learned that it's actually really easy to think that you know what's important and you understand your customer, but really you don't understand that at all. And we had a lot of box ticking exercises. were very much designed you know it was a meeting for meetings sake or we thought that we were doing something that was really beneficial for the customer and it actually wasn't Um, and that's kind of been a real change um, in thought for the whole business Um, and part of this was the handover process so we didn't really have like the new business to customer success process down at all and I think that that's the part where you really get from your customer what is important from them and you understand kind of their compelling reason to buy, um, what first value looks like for them um, and how you can deliver that. And I think um, also what their timelines are, because often we know you can't move those, um, they'll kind of do it at their own pace and you need to work with the customer to understand what that looks like. Um, So I think if you have that bad experience in onboarding and you're not making sure that that is completely right, then um, that really shapes that first experience and it's a massive risk because then obviously, you know there's a greater risk of churn as well after that um we've also seen um, particularly in our, the kind of business that we operate in. Um, there's been a real rise in data literacy. So I think Molly touched on this briefly as, um, as well. So people um, had that data insight, but previously didn't really understand, I don't think so much how to use it. And particularly at the C-level, there wasn't a data strategy. Um, whereas that's completely changed with the pandemic or um, has definitely been accelerated. So people have been implementing data strategies whether otherwise there weren't any. Um, and they they're making decisions a lot quicker As well, so because they've got that insight available to them, they understand exactly what metrics they're looking for, Um, and actually, it also means that there is that kind of higher risk. So you need to make sure that you can understand exactly what it is your customers do need um, and get to the bottom of it. Um, And I think there's a greater expectation on the time taken to reach first value. So um, we've seen that like a long implementation timeline isn't acceptable anymore at all, and customers um, really want your to get return on investment, if they have to justify spend internally, then they need to um, kind of have a good reason in order to do so. Um, and they'll be less less forgiving if there's a b- bad experience. So in terms of brands, you need to make sure that you've got that right from the very out- outset and you're kind of transparent and you've managed the expectations.
0: Perfect, thanks all really interesting. Um, jo- Johnny, have you got anything else to, to add in there?
3: Thank you, Tim, and uh, and and all of Molly. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. And um, it's interesting. Um, I've just got. One key thing to share, really, and it cooperates. Molly's research at G- G2. I'm a sales consultant, so I firmly work within the sales funnel. Um, but I know that marketing and sales is intertwined um very heavily, as, as we all can be aware. If you're a marketer or, or a sales professional, um, back in 2017, Forrester brought out some research around uh, the death of the B2B salesperson. Now, that, that's quite close to my heart. If anyone's read or watched the video, um it actually cooperates with. with with the research about G2, about 68% of B2B buyers are looking online before going to seek a sales professional for their opinion. Um, It's fascinating because working with an organization recently as a consultant, um, one of my clients is um, a unicorn within the SaaS space. Um, They sell HR um, performance software to organizations. And what we focused on was over the last 18 months is the The the, the complexity of the current competitor landscape is just ever growing. So how do you cut through that by making sure that you first map your client and your customers buying process prior to then going into the sales process? I think that's a unique element towards the way that sales professionals should focus on things to ensure that we can understand our customer much more about how we should act rather than actually thinking this is the way we should do it. We should first and foremost understand how our customers buy and then match the way that we can then service those through marketing, great nurturing campaigns and on towards the sales team. So I just wanted to cooperate what Molly mentioned as well. Thank you, Tim. Uh,
0: Karen, did did you have anything to come back on as well?
4: Yeah, I think everyone said some very interesting things there, um, and I think just at least from my perspective, to go back to what all all I was saying, I think yeah, we need to for for us at Cognizant, we really have to focus on the onboarding process because onboarding can make or break a customer ultimately. So if you can map out your customer journey and really identify all the areas that you you need to resolve and improve to make sure that you are delivering a, a meaningful um, and memorable experience to your customers. Uh, that is some, certainly something that we're, we're, we're looking to achieve. So that's at least from from cognizant perspective, that's that's where we're at, and we, we've made some really good progress on on, on that. Um, and and yeah, that'd be good.
5: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to second that. Actually, I think picking up on what Orla was saying about kind of time to value and people wanting. You know, they want a more personalized journey at the beginning of their onboard. So actually, once you purchase a a piece of technology, you purchase a SaaS, you get a subscription. All of us these days, there was a time when it was acceptable to take three months to deploy. Now, people want it as quickly as they can. Us at Lead Forensics, we used to have a 12-step, 12-call onboarding process, which took 12 weeks. But actually, we recently surveyed our customers, well, I say recently, in the last 18 months. And that was just taking them far too long, and many people weren't getting to the end of it. So now we've got a three call process where actually you can get to value within less than 48 hours. And that has actually helped improve our attention to no end. And actually our customers are much happier as a result of it. And I think when we talk about how is the pandemic and how are different things in the modern world change people's expectations, that's just it. People expect things to be faster. You purchase software, you expect to be an expert within an hour. And we've got to meet those expectations um, in order to retain our customers. So, yeah, all good stuff.
0: Yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that, that expectation of speed and, and, and just getting up to and understanding those customers being really key. So I guess if we, if we move on from that and ask about, think about maybe why should brands focus on building strategic relationships with all of their existing customers as well? You know, how can this do things like, I don't know, improve customer satisfaction um, as well as loyalty? Um, how do those loyal customers differ? Um, and, and how? Why is it important to understand that? Um, also, you know, how can that potentially turn into brand advocacy um, and create that sort of negative churn where you're actually um, also kind of growing um, through that as well? Um, let's go with uh, jo- Johnny. shall we come to you first this time?
3: Brilliant. Thanks, Tim. And uh, I'm sure some of my peers will have some, some great comments to mention as well. It, it's an interesting topic. I suppose, If you, on one hand, first of all, to answer the question, wh- why should brands focus on building strategic relationships? Well, it costs about six, six times cheaper to win that first pound than it is to obviously go out and find and hunt new new, new, new accounts, right? So, first of all, cost of client acquisition is critical towards building strategic accounts. Um, I think there's also that element around, let me just break the question down, and I'm looking from a sales perspective here, so an account-based selling model, if we want to look at that, and then if we move on to retention, is that you use the word all, and I'm not, not knocking you, Tim, for being the, the, the director and the host of this, but the word all is, is a question in itself. Should we be building strategic relationships with all? My perspective as a consultant would be no. Um, so first and foremost what we want to be able to identify is who are those what I call lighthouses and who are those wreckers Uh, and then if you go back towards the the philosophy around that is identifying some of your key strategy uh, strategic partners through segmenting your account base identifying some of those tier one tier twos and then the the rest is tier threes through what is the, the potential growth the share of wallet what's the opportunity that they're currently spending with you and then once we've got that built in that segmentation then we can go forth and build and focus on those particular brands and it ultimately comes back to investment of resource people's resource i.e you know we have a certain amount of headcount in the business that in the CSM team that can provide that benefit towards um, the right accounts and you might look at that from an enterprise level So you have more time and more touch points spent with them, which will enable you to retain, create better customer loyalty. And ultimately, if you're in a SaaS model, for example, you can drive the amount of um, upsell throughout that period of time. Now, if you've got the mid to smaller enterprises, you might spend less time with them. But you can only do that by identifying what is a strategic account to you as a business. And clearly, you can't focus on everyone because then the business might not be as economic as that case. Um, I think just to touch upon what I mean by lighthouses and wreckers, uh, and then I can pass over to, to maybe one of my peers. But um, there was a, a bit of an analogy back in the day that um, you know wreckers wanted ships to come on towards the corals to to, to make sure that they, it crashed in there, uh, and then they would go and take all the valuables out of there. Um, that could be seen as one of your one of your clients. They might not be the right client for you, and therefore investing the time into those wreckers might not be the right right way forward. However, we might want to invest our our time into the lighthouses, and if you've got trajectory as a business and you're going forward in terms of reaching your goals over the next three or five years then those lighthouses are the ones that you want to invest your time in because they will guide you through the seas up towards that endpoint. and there's a bit of a poetic ending towards that statement so um, I'll pass back to you Tim.
0: No perfect yeah I no, think you picked up there on the all that the, yeah they're, they're not an amorphous group and I think that, that's why that understanding is really key right um, and, and actually having the I guess what you said there is having the confidence to identify the ones that maybe strategically you don't want to put the time and resource into is is a is a pretty bold move for, for most businesses to make because your natural instinct is just to try and retain everyone um, as, as you say. Corin, um, can we can we move to you on that? What's what do you see as kind of that um, importance and, and why should brands look at um, understanding or maybe not all um, but understanding their customers?
4: I uh, absolutely absolutely agree with what Johnny said. I think you can't, as much as you'd like to focus on developing strategic relationships with all your customers. You know, that's you got to prioritize. So you have got to break down and segment your accounts. You know, and that can be based on you know the the their ARR they spend with you, whether it's the breadth of use case, or, or even which customers are advocates of yours. You know, which ones are taking part in case studies. Are getting involved in speaking opportunities and are vocal um, in the market about your products and services. Um, so there's there's really something to 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 you need to focus on prioritizing. And once you've you know under you've established how you want to prioritize your accounts, um, really focus on delivering the greater value and bringing them in through the the, the customer lifecycle and and fostering them to to becoming advocates and and loyal customers of yours, so that they're not churning and they are renewing with you year year on year. Um, Because ultimately, you know, higher retention rates means that you're also increasing your expansion opportunities. And and that is only good things, you know, for for your business uh, later on. And I think there's probably something to be said as well about how how you build the, the strategic relationships. And I think there's as you know, there are increased vendors out there, and you're really trying to stand out. You're really try- having to deliver a message, and that is perhaps more human uh, to your customers, that you're really delivering the value that uh, they expect from your from your um, products and services, but trying to also go beyond that, um, and and trying to form a like I say a more human feel to to a relationship, so that you're not just they're not just having a, an, an impression of you as a, as a company. It's it's really the engagement and the customer experience that you are are delivering on top of that. Um, so I think there's there's something to be said about that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Orla, I'm, I'm intrigued to get your perspective. As, as a business that's just kind of transitioned from that account management to, to success model, um, how's that kind of building of strategic relationships and, and understanding those customers kind of played out as as part of that process, was that a kind of key driver?
1: Yeah,
2: so um, I think actually picking up on kind of what both of um, Karen and Johnny said as well. Um, So I think that a strategic relationship means that there's value for both brands. So it's not kind of on one side or the other. And actually, sometimes as um, still managing customers, I find that really difficult what you were talking about previously in terms of, you know, uh, looking at objectively at the ARR or MRR. And actually, you know, I think customers can bring tangible and non tangible things. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, Karen, about kind of case studies and. When I think about the customers, that I could call on to speak at our customer conference or I know will always do a reference call for me. Those sorts of things. Um, they may not kind of pay the most in revenue, but actually that is just as important for a business. And as you're growing, you need to bring those people along with you as well as your highest value customers and kind of the more corporate customers that you've got. Um, and I think as well, um, if because we've got such a breadth and depth of customers, there's so many different sizes and they do all sorts of different things in different industries with amazing products. Um, And sometimes it's really hard to look at all of them and capture the voice of the customer. So are we doing anything in the product that actually would maybe be detrimental to a segment of them? Or is that gonna kind of work for everyone? Um, Is it something that is gonna drive us to the growth in those most important accounts? um and so if you're if you have those strategic conversations even if maybe you don't have as much time to invest in the lower value accounts but at least you have an appreciation of kind of where their strategic goals lie then I think you can make sure that the voice of the customer shines through and it's kind of for everyone rather than just for some um and I always kind of have that in the back of my mind thinking right across the breadth how would I how, how does this affect everyone essentially um so yeah it's, it's it's a difficult one but it's definitely an interesting one um, and i think it's the job of the customer success team to drive those strategic relationships as well and make sure you've got a breadth of stakeholders um in the accounts as well so that you've got the different disciplines and they're coming at it from completely different angles so yeah
0: perfect thanks thanks for that um so i guess next we've got how how can i guess so how can brands and, and b2b businesses in particular go on to exceed those customer expectations? So we've talked about kind of understanding the the ones to keep and the ones potentially um, to put, at least put less effort forth for um, or put less resource into. Um, how can we I- exceed those expectations and across all touch points? We also talked about that you need to be quick and, and understand them quickly and deliver quickly as well. Um, and where does sort of personalization of experience fit into that and is that an important factor? um what, how about omni channel now in in a in a world that has a myriad just of digital channels let alone the kind of prospect of returns to to face to face and in person attendance um why is, why is it essential for you know is mobile friendly now a must have in b two b um or has it been for for years and people have just been sort of overlooking it um and then where does self serve fit into this as well i know I will mean, I'll come to you first just to give you a, a word of warning. But you, you mentioned already there that that move to actually getting people to va- have value within a couple of days within Lead, Lead Friends. It was a real big game changer how, where does self-serve even start to play into that, where people can start to get that benefit by themselves and then just have the success kind of follow in after that as well.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, I think when we're talking about how do we exceed the customer's expectations for me? that starts with understanding the customer's expectations so we kind of we've talked about voice of customer a little bit or just referenced it there and i think we want to know what it is that our customers want and truthfully we can ask them questions and we can survey them but we can also kind of go what would i want in their shoes and what i would want is i'd want everything for nothing i'd want it all now so we kind of want to try and deliver as much as we can as fast as we can Like. Uh, as you say, Tim, like we had our onboarding journey, which was very, very long, and very, very thorough. And it was excellent for some customers. It really got them through to a point where they were really strong with our software. But not everybody's got the same kind of view. When we did survey our customers, one thing that came back was we really love the product, but your resource library could be improved. So, you know, I'm, I'm the customer marketer here. And I was like, right, this is now my baby. This is my project, what can we do? And we, we built a whole new resource library about our product, how to use it, uh, what we can do with it. We launched a brand new community of our users, which actually big milestone today. We've just passed 8000 members. So I'm going to take that as a celebration, Um, you know, going less than a year. It's great. But um, we put that live and actually we started to see that people were using it to self serve. So even before the onboard call, even before the discovery call, they're going, "Actually, I want to learn about how to use the software because that's their expectation. Their expectation is I've got this new piece of software and actually I should just be able to use it myself. It should be intuitive. And where it isn't intuitive, we've got to to, uh, kind of Teach them how to do it and, and promote it. So, I'm a, I'm a marketer. Some of these guys are very clever. They're account managers, they're salespeople, they're great talking to people. I hide behind a computer screen and I do a lot of things digitally. And we've got some great tools which allow us to communicate with our customers in Portal. And in order to exceed expectations, I'm always testing with new communication styles. It's never enough to rest on your laurels and presume that your, your current comms work. A, B test and try different things. Like, do, do customers prefer a bit of a a comedic tone of voice or do they prefer a more professional tone of voice or actually if we segment customers down by enterprise size and by user type actually uh do we try different tovs do we try different engagements Did, who prefers email who prefers in app and i think if we want to talk about exceeding customers expectations then it does come down to that personalization mapping the customer journey understanding who our customers are how they want to be engaged with and trying lots of different things and never presuming we've got the answer but always just having a baseline and going, okay, I'm gonna try something else. I love that experimentation side of my job. I love that experimentation side um, of just seeing what different people interact with. And uh, I think that helps us get to a stage where we are constantly improving um, on our our customer experience and exceeding their expectations.
0: Exactly, sorry, I've I've done the classic uh, lockdown thing. of forgetting to unmute myself when I was about to start talking. I
5: no, thought the, I stunned you into silence.
0: I thought it was just was that good an answer. <laughs> there you go, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's great. Um, Karen, can I, can I come to you next about that, that idea of exceeding those customer expectations and, and you know, how, how we can do it and how you, what your guys' experience is there?
4: Absolutely, yeah. I think to Owen's point, you really have to map out uh, the customer journey and understand all the touch points that you have with your customers and through the variety of channels that you might have and really find try and find consistency in in all those communications. I think you know that it just brings together the whole experience, um, but really going back to the the customer journey, mapping out uh, at, from onboarding through to v- adoption and value realization. Um, you really want to be mapping out all the all the touch points, and un, un, just also mapping out, you know, some of the other things like the pain points that they might experience at each uh, stage of that journey all these sort of opportunities and goals they might have also trying to think about the the emotions and the feelings that they are going through throughout the each stage of the journey and really trying to action and find ways to improve uh, the experience that you're delivering to them at each point um you'll have to obviously have to prioritize uh, those things um but yeah i think bringing creating consistency uh, across uh the your touch points but also you know having more of a you know, to, try and to, to try and enhance that personalized experience you want to be thinking about the language that you use as well so you know you know you don't want to be saying our our as opposed to you want to be using your you want you want to be talking yeah. with them and as opposed to to them it's just like little things like that that uh are, can be quite important um but yeah there's ultimately a, a lot of different ways that you could look to improve the Uh, each touch point but you just got to find out what what where to start um and at least in Cognizant's case we really are focusing on the onboarding process uh, and really enhancing that and and making them feel you know really welcome and excited to start using our our platform and and starting to see the value that it can bring to the organization and 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 getting ROI just within a couple of weeks or even months so that's that's at least what we're doing uh, at Cognizant
0: fantastic uh johnny can i come come to you as well absolutely
3: i'm um, just did my mute mute button check as well there tim so um <laughs> I, I, I there are two 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 points of reference and it's on the back of what karen's just just spoken about I, and the first point i think from a more strategic element when we work with our clients and um, we work through strategy towards process then towards execution so top to bottom and, and some of the strategic sort of goals for organisations around how do we then exceed the customer expectation is around account plans. Um, How often do we sit down, build a strategic account plan with rather than for? And I think that goes back to your point there, Karen, around, you know, let's do it with someone rather than for someone, that the element of buy-in that you get is incredible. But equally... Within those account plans, and I'm talking about that strategic element at the start of the year that then you go through your QBRs with that client at whatever enterprise level they're at, it enables you then to highlight key, clear objectives. And I liked what all I mentioned earlier. There's got to be value in it, in it for both. Right. And, and what are the objectives for you, Mr. Customer and Mrs. Customer? and What's the objectives for us as a business to help you reach that? And I absolutely love that statement. Um, with that in mind is who do we need to bring on the journey and when do we need to achieve that? So in that account plan, and then ultimately, if we can identify those three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, 10, 15, 20, depending on how big your organization is in that segment one and build those strategic account plans out, then you can really add and exceed the client expectations throughout that year after onboarding. Through to client retention through the life cycle. I did say there was two points. Just my second point, and it goes back, Tim, to what you said at the start. And I've written it down. Um, switching is around about the 50%, and 40% of those um, is because of bad experiences. Is that correct? That was your statement at the start. Yeah. Um, it, it, and and it's such an interesting fact around customer attention because there's something called the peak end rule and I'm going back into execution here and if any of you who are watching today's webinar is aware of the peak end rule um, the peak end rule is where people judge an experience largely based on how they feel at its peak okay so if you think about this now the end of the webinar people are going to judge it based on its peak the most intense moment whether that's good or bad but also they will judge it at the end so whoever's concluding webinars like this needs to make sure they're great towards the end. So people are buying in towards that experience. And if we're delivering great customer experience or having our QBRs with our with our clients, just be you know cognizant around the peak end rule. How do we make them feel at the peak and how can we end each conversation? Because that's what people are going to remember from an experience perspective. So those are two points.
0: Fantastic. Um, just a, a quick reminder to our audience today that you can pop any questions you have in the um, Q&A section in the tab there and we can pop them to our esteemed audience. But in the meantime, we can carry on with um, the next area was now looking at sort of software as a service. And actually, how can companies start to use this kind of trend or, or specific kind of SaaS solutions they might have actually as a kind of customer retention tool in themselves? So. Um, customers have, we've all sort of touched on it already, we, they've moved to that digital first. They're keen to potentially start to um, leverage tools themselves as well and actually bring them into their own businesses. Um, so how can SaaS offer um, both benefits, maybe offer unique insights into into those kinds of behaviours, um, deliver value to, to customers while also sort of actually helping the business by being a bit more sort of um, self uh, self delivering as well. Um, I'm not even sure if that's a word, um, but let's come back to Molly. We, we haven't heard from you for a while, so can I call on you first?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it was Orla who brought this um, up at the, at the very beginning, but when it comes to retention, um, it's important to remember that the buying cycle doesn't end when you close a sale. You um, are constantly having to resell um, your product, your service to your customer throughout uh, their life cycle. So back in the same uh, buyer behavior survey that I referenced earlier, um, another finding there was 60% of buyers always research and consider alternatives when the product that they've purchased is up for renewal. Um, I was particularly surprised by that. I, from my own perspective, I feel like if something I'm using, if, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, sort of mentality. But I think just in this, you know, people and brand companies are very concerned about getting value. Um, is their investment in their tools um, paying off? And so they're constantly evaluating um, is this worth it? Is this worth uh, the investment? And so, for better or worse, you have to keep selling. It's going to look different when you're uh, talking about a customer than when you're talking about trying to secure uh, an, a net new uh, prospect but I think you do that by staying focused on the customer needs. And this is where uh, I think some of the SaaS tools uh, that we're we're referencing uh, can come in. So there are so many new uh, types of tools uh, that are out there that can help brands stay connected to their customers uh, to demonstrate that value, to understand what's important to them um, at different points. So, um, you know, Johnny mentioned the the buyer journey and understanding that it's the buyer journey as well as um, things like usage of your product. There are tools out there where you can measure, um, and maybe some of these are already built into uh, different um, SaaS products. But how many users do you have logging in? How many people are are taking actually using the licenses that they've purchased? Uh, things like that that you data that you can then feed back to your customer to show in hard numbers, here's the value um, of the tool. And here's, you can see it right here. Um, Things like automating uh, updates, automating tips on, here's what else you can do in our product, a feature you're maybe not taking advantage of, or credits that you haven't used. Basically helping the customers help themselves to get the most out of uh, the product that they've bought from you. Um, And then things like, uh, you know, intent data, understanding the broader uh, behavior online of of your your customers as well. So getting alerts, like, are they, is your customer potentially shopping around, looking at something else, a replacement perhaps? Um, Those are, if you have those kind of um, data points available to you, that will help um, when you combine that with your customer success team and sort of the the tech plus the, the personal touch, um, I think is really where um, the, the kind of the sweet spot of where we can make sure that um, we're again, meeting customers where they are, giving them the right messaging and tools to help them understand what is the value of our product? How can they get the most um, out of it? Uh, regardless of of where they are sort of in their um, in their customer journey
0: mm. perfect so i guess uh, next uh, owen can i can I come to you how how are companies and how are maybe forensics using SaaS to to help retain their their customers here as well some of whom i'm sure are in the audience
5: yeah well i'm I'm pleased to say that we're doing most of the things Molly's talked about she's um she's absolutely nailed that i think one hundred percent it's all about kind of listening to what your customers are doing and assessing it so actually SaaS tools give you great insight we we have more insight than we've never had before we can see when customers are logging in we can see how much data they've got we can see what communications they're engaging with and it's about listening to that and understanding it so for us we're quite big believers in, in net promoter score and we run nps surveys relatively often but that also helps us to see if a customer starts trending downwards at the beginning they were 10 they loved us hooray six months in oh they are six that's less good but actually do you know what we've got time let's reach out find out what's going on what's the pain point and let's start mapping it through obviously that example doesn't happen often with lead forensics customers they go from six to tens rather than tens to sixes but um you know i think i think it's very much about actually assessing customer health scores are a big thing and we start using those within the team actually which customers using SaaS tools and using data and insights actually, which customers are actually really, really healthy, which customers are coming back and using your tool day in, day out, and therefore are engaged with it. But also then identifying those ones where you go, actually, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, there's good customers, sometimes there's good customers and bad customers, lighthouses and records. And actually, if you've got a lighthouse who actually has been logging in every day for six months and then for a month doesn't log in, well, actually, that's a really interesting signal and you need to reach out and and find out what's going on there. Um, For us, with lead forensics, we often talk about our our customers Usually forensics to see if any of their existing customers come onto their pricing page or any of their cancellation pages on their website, because that's a really interesting intent signal then. And then the account management team or a customer success team can reach out and find out what's going on. I think SAS can provide you with some real interesting insights to to help you retain customers before you can now know that they're thinking of churning before they tell you they're going to churn, which is really interesting. Um, It makes me sound very much like I'm snooping on everybody. I'm not. It's
0: just very, very interesting. Analysis is great. Yeah. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's really interesting you said about NPS, they're, the, they're almost the kind of big three of that, like customer satisfaction, customer effort, which I think is one that's, that's potentially underused quite a lot. Um, actually, how, how much work do they feel they have to go through to, to to your point right at the beginning, Owen, about actually making it really easy to get to value. I think that's a really nice way of putting it as well, as well as NPS. The other great the other great thing that I have been asked for years is, okay, this is our NPS score. What's somebody else's and goes well, no that's not the point yeah. the, the point is to do better right it's the same as any any bench any benchmark yes i can find you benchmarks elsewhere in the industry or from other industries that might be akin but ultimately you are your own benchmark so do better
5: that's it 100 percent isn't it you, you do your survey and you don't go what does this do compared to anybody else you go actually this is where we are now and let's try and improve on that you know it's yeah. the same with status, yeah. isn't it i'm making a million pound now apple are making billions but i can't do that tomorrow <laughs> But actually next quarter i'll make another million and it's just we all improve iteratively yeah i think that's excellent Tim. yeah
0: so on, on that one johnny do you, do you have anything else to to add around that as well i know, you, I know it's a big topic for you
3: yeah i mean in, in terms of i think it's an interesting topic isn't it i mean we it could be debated probably for another hour but i, I know we, we can't keep people on much longer than that and I mean, how do companies use SaaS to, to, to retain customers? I, I think it's twofold: is that you, you've got a choice. First of all, right? So, first of all, do I use a SaaS product, service, you know, as a software, software as a service, sorry, or do I use a, a, a perm, uh, on perm, you know, piece of software that that is, you know, out, out out the out the shelf and plug it in, and then it doesn't upgrade over a period of time? Well, well firstly, I think that the SAS the SaaS opportunity is that there's some amazing, um. Uh, benefits of that and and molly mentioned about this and all has mentioned about this around the the change of the way that the consumer buys so as a business if you're running a SaaS product then you can change quickly and become more agile towards your consumers great point right so my project roadmap can change very quickly whereas if you're just off the shelf and you plug in then you really don't have that agility and you're very much that sort of one-stop shop that doesn't carry on evolving so that's that's the real sort of key benefit to me from a SaaS perspective and so I mean that's the that's the general logic potentially that that you could focus on there Tim um, from that element and why you might like to purchase SaaS is from that roadmap perspective and I think there's that tendency towards if you are running a SaaS product and and you are a SaaS firm then you have you have to make sure that you're at the forefront of the the buyer's mind you have to make sure that you are changing and becoming agile towards the marketplace so there's just some of my, my
2: thoughts on that topic.
0: Fantastic. Um, Orla, did you want to just come in on that as well? Yeah, is that okay to jump in? Sorry. Um, I was just going to (laughs) say
2: I think that um, in customer facing roles, sometimes we're really guilty of having this gut instinct. And we're like, we know that about that customer. And, you know, I could tell you what their MPS score would say, um, that kind of thing. Um, But actually, um, having the data and the metrics is so important because you need, you do need that data behind that gut instinct. And sometimes, you know, that can be wrong, um, as we all know, because that would be great if we could read our customers' minds. Um, And I think, yeah, having the data is great. But then what is the action once you've got that data? So what's the process that you've got? that then it immediately triggers. So, you know, do you get on the phone to the customer? Do you book in an executive business review? Um, kind of what are the steps that you take? And I think, yeah, um, sometimes I know I'll um, yeah, say, oh, no, I know that about that customer, but I think having it there in black and white is really important and you need to make sure that you've got that built within within your business and people know what it means. Um
0: so, We've had a couple of questions in from the audience as well. So I'm, I'm just going to pop a couple of those to you. Can we start with, so Owen, um, so somebody's written and say, you, you talked about experimenting in your style and messaging in particular. Um, what do you think has the has had the most impact when you're within that sort of tinkering? That's, that's the, their, their word, not mine, um, but with, <laughs> within that tinkering, is there anything that's worked particularly well?
5: Is there anything? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, what's worked particularly well? I think we've tried, actually, I'll tell you what we have done. So before, when we started messing with, messing with, playing with in-app engagements and kind of promoting messages to customers, we very much did it on a basis whereby we thought we knew best and we would say, actually, when you visit this page, we'll give you this message. When you visit this page, we'll give you this message. Um, we've recently started bringing in a tool which actually is more of a bot and it allows people to interact with it as they so choose. And we've seen much better engagement figures off the back of it, because actually, sometimes, if you give someone a pop up in a portal, actually, that's just annoying. And I should, you know, I always I know that um, we all know that as much as our intention is, we want to help you. Sometimes customers go stuff, it! I just want to do this. So I experiment between pop ups and, and dialogue boxes at the top of dialogue banners at the top, which are far less intrusive. But actually, now that we've brought a bot in, people are actually interacting with it more and more because it's on their terms. Oh, that's down in the corner. Great, I can see that. And I think that's really nice. And again, that comes back to that self-serve element and that customer's expectations. Customers just want to be able to get to the data when they want it, not when you want it. It's not on your terms, it's on the customer's terms. So it's anything that you can do to actually help the customers um, interact with things on their terms helps. And that's what I've seen. Um I know I'm reminded of an experiment. The, the best experiment I've got in terms of um, changing a uh, communication based on customer behavior actually goes back to an old job. We did a, an invite for an event and we thought personalizing meant spoofing coming from the account manager. So we sent an email that looked like a, a direct message from their account manager. It just looked like it came from Outlook, inviting them to an event. And we sent it to all our customers. We got no sign-ups because actually the tone of voice didn't sound like their account manager at all. They knew these people. They worked with them day in, day out. So actually all of us were panicked. We were like, ah! Our email hasn't worked, we've got no signups. But then actually a week later, we sent a really nice invite. It didn't necessarily spoof anything anymore. We didn't pretend to have that relationship. We admitted that actually we're the marketing team. Here's a nice invite. filled up on one email send. And I think it's about not pretending to be something you're not, being honest and being transparent, and actually letting customers kind of interact with you in a native way. That That's a really nice, um, I hope that's a helpful answer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. Um, so we've got another one, which I think is probably for Molly, because I think it references the the research you mentioned right at the beginning, We're around the 67% of uh, customers not reaching out to a salesperson until they've actually basically made their sales decision already. Um, so how, how can you use? Um, so how can you enable those customers, I guess, to to actually choose your solution? So what are the steps along the way that you can do to to help them? To help you be the, the the your salesperson be the one that that they actually reach out to
1: yeah and apologies in advance they've started doing some building works here so if you hear a, a loud noise i will try to mute myself as quickly as possible but hopefully we won't get interrupted um but you know at g2 we use this analogy of um well being on g2 but you can extend this to the broader um online landscape as well but um a virtual trade show so uh, Think of the concept of a trade show. You're there. You have your booth. You have your, all your materials. You're ready to have conversations with everybody um, online and your presence online, your presence on sites like G2, where um, buyers are doing research. That is your virtual 24/7 trade show that's available for customers to come find you, walk up to you, have conversations with you um, via some of the tools, maybe that like that Owen mentioned. Um, but really, it's about positioning yourself and understanding where are those places that buyers are going to research you. So if you haven't, if you don't do this regularly, something we always do with our customers is Google yourself, Google your brand, Google your brand plus reviews. Those are uh, Google your brand plus some other common terms. Um, and again, there are tools that help help tell you what are some of those terms that um, buyers are, are searching for. But what are those top results that come up Yes, some of them are going to be your own properties, but a lot of them are not. A lot of them are going to be sites like G2, like other marketplaces, maybe partner uh, marketplaces, things like that. But places where you can control your presence, you can or have some some elements of control over your presence. You can. Um, that's where you want to put your materials. That's where you want to have everything that represents not just what your product does, but some of the other um, points we touched on about trust who you are as a company, all the different factors that buyers are now taking into consideration when they're deciding, is this a brand that I want to work with? Not just a product I want to buy, but a brand I want to work with. So every any, anything that you can do to put your, your best foot forward on those places digitally, primarily where buyers are doing their research, that's what you want to focus on. Um, and, and throughout sort of the, the different stages of the journey, the different Um, touch points and places where buyers might encounter your brand, might encounter a competitor or um, just your your space in general. Um, So that's what I I would recommend focusing on um, so that they have as much information and accurate as you would want your brand to be represented um, available to, uh, to buyers when they're doing that research on their own.
0: Fantastic, thanks Molly. Um, So before we come to the final question and I I go around the the whole group again, um, just wanted to uh, let everybody know that a poll will be coming out um, in the next uh, few minutes from our hosts, uh, Lead Forensics, um, where you can um, find out a little bit more about about some free trials and the services they offer as well. Um, So don't be alarmed if you you get a pop-up. We are still here and we're going to finish out the time. Um, So I guess to to finish off, each of you, what, what's sort of your, preferably one, if we can tr- try and keep it short, um, but, but I, I might let a second one go. Um, so what are your tips or what's your tip for, for building relationships with customers and improving that that kind of customer attention? If there was one thing that you wanted the audience to take away, um, and I apologise in advance, Molly, you're going to be last, so you're going to have everyone else's to try and contend with. Um, so let's come with, Orla, or let's, let's come to you first
2: okay um so i would probably say um make customer success an organization-wide priority um and any insight that you do collect make sure that it's actionable
0: fantastic um karen can i come to to you next
4: Yeah, I think certainly creating a customer retention mindset across all employees from the, in the organisation, from you know pre-signature all the way through, uh, is is highly important. And I think just uh, to kind of advocate for customer marketing, I think there is a lot of value to be gained from a customer marketing team. So if your organisation doesn't have such a department uh, within marketing uh, i would strongly suggest you know investing in that and because it really bridges the gap between marketing and and customer success and i think there is a there are a lot of value adds from a a retention advocacy expansion and expansion um, perspective that, that customer marketing can add to that
0: Fantastic. Uh,
4: Johnny? Because we can also help you out with customer satisfaction and running surveys and things.
3: Great. Should I, John. Should I shoot there, Tim? Yeah. Um, Being very um, short and concise. So Robert Cialdini um, did a piece of research around the six principles of influence and persuasion. Um, one of the principles around consistency is my tip. Um, If you're consistent to whatever account whether it's tier one tier two tier three that consistency builds trust it builds loyalty and it will reduce
0: the negative churn fantastic owen
5: uh yeah i'm i'm uh some of the things that molly was saying earlier about googling yourself and that orla was talking about where we don't always trust your gut instinct reminded me of something i was told very early in my career um we had a chairman at one of the businesses i had who said to me owen as a marketer you're going to be our, our advocate for our brand and you're always going to be promoting us He said but you should never believe your own bs and i think that's kind of something that's always stuck with me actually we always think that our uh, we can do no wrong but actually our customers will sometimes be quick to tell us where we can where we can improve and i think my one tip for improving retention would be we've got we've got two ears and one mouth and just make sure you're listening out to what your customers are saying because they're going to be your greatest source of insight Mm.
0: and then molly yes
1: so um i think one of the biggest um, wins that you can have in terms of building relationships and and helping with retention uh, is help allow your customers, your happy customers, those lighthouses that we've been talking about, um, get them in position to help sell for you, um, set them up well to be your advocates, to serve as references, to leave you um, glowing reviews on. Um, on websites like like G2 where you can then amplify that. You don't have to be calling them all the time for reference calls or things like that, but put them in a place and, and take advantage of the great experience that you've been able to deliver um, with your Lighthouse customers and use that to tell your story, not from your own. You know, don't take it from me, take it from these happy customers that are really satisfied and would be glad to tell you about why, you know, we are so great. Um, it's it's a strong message to send um, to your prospects um, and really feel confident that they are um, making the right choice when they decide to to, to work with you.
0: yeah so it's a really good place to finish. I think that 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 point also has uh, almost that that double-edged um, kind of benefit of both reassuring people along the journey um, but also we've in some consumer research we, we did a couple of years ago um, so less in the b2b space but I think it still holds true. We saw those customers that come in through kind of referral programs. They 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 stickier. They stay longer. They spend more. They spend more on that. Like all of these good benefits of those customers that come from those, as you say, those they, sort of lighthousey style. And so it's just about enabling those happy customers to to voice that is is yeah r- really really powerful as well. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you all very much for your time, uh, Ola, Johnny, Molly, Owen, and Karen. Thank you to Lead Forensics for hosting us. And um, yeah, I think I hope everybody has enjoyed it. Um, apologies to the one question we didn't quite get time to get to, but um, we're, we're hitting about three o'clock on the dot. So hopefully not overrunning either. Have a good rest of the day, everybody. And thank you again.